Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. We're thankful to be in your house, thankful to be together. Reminded uh, that sometimes being humbled means being broken, being torn down. And maybe that's where we need to be. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. We're reminded of the psalmist in Psalm 73 that so frustrated and angry at all the things in the world that seemed better. The rich got richer, the, the important got more important, and the and the least of these continued to be less. And the psalmist says, it wasn't until I stepped foot in the sanctuary that I realized the fate of those. And I understood that my hope was in God. It was in that moment the psalmist understood that life was bigger than the things going on. That life was bigger than circumstances. And that God still had that psalmist in his hand. So Lord, we come this morning with broken hearts. Some have had tough weeks. Lord, we come to you because we don't have anywhere else to turn. There is no better place to be than in the sanctuary of our Lord to be together. And so, Lord, when we look at your word this morning, I pray it would be powerful. Powerful because you are a powerful and mighty God who loves us so. Who does not turn his back who does not forsake. You are a God of eternity, a God of all this world and the worlds to come. And we praise you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Scripture this morning is out of uh, John chapter 4, and I know you know I know you know the story, so I kind of chopped it up a little bit uh, to shorten it. Uh, it's the woman at the well, right? It's, it's, it's Jesus and the woman at the well. John chapter 4, 6, uh, six through 14, and then uh, 19 through 24. It says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus... Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How could you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and knew who asked for it, for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of waters, welling up eternal life. Verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that this place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming when, uh, and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit. And in the truth. May God add his blessing as we continue to sing this morning. Lord God, thank you for this morning. We are thankful to be in your house. Thankful for a chance to hear your word. To be reminded to worship you. To seek your face. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I pray it would be powerful. You are a powerful and mighty God. Speak to us, each one of us in an individual way, Lord. Speak to us. Help us understand how we like are a whole lot more like that woman at the well. We are in need of an encounter with Jesus. Humble us into to understanding that. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you're a children, you can child. And, and today only, you can run. Come on now. Let's, you got to run. Let me see. He's got two loose teeth. Anybody want to see me knock him out? <laughs> He's like, nah. Not interested. Hey, do we got a video up there? It'd be great if we had a video up there. You told the woman on the other side of the tracks, the one we worked so hard to step around that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. And for those who seek this, there is living water, which quenches the thirst of the soul. Yes, through this broken woman from the wrong family, the wrong town, who'd sought to drink from all the wrong wells, we learned a desperate truth about ourselves that we hadn't come to terms with yet. Our souls are the parched and dusty land of the wilderness. Our wells are the beds of all the wrong passions. And our desires and dreams will always leave us thirsting until we drink from the water of the one living Christ, who is Jesus. Amen. So we live in a pretty interesting place in the world. Maybe never really thought much about it. Uh, we live in a place in the world where 
pretty much any water you see or can get to is pretty healthy, right? Might like we carry around water bottles and we drink them whenever we like. Anybody want to drink? Yeah, it was good. <laughs> I never heard that either. We live in a world where water is at our fingertips, literally. And so this passage is a bit challenging for us because anywhere we go, it's, there's, a, there's a drinking fountain. There's a, a sink, at the very least. In our houses, there's water that just magically comes when we open this little valve. And uh, we live in a world... Well, we live in a place that, do you realize how hard it would be to start this woods on fire behind us? Do you know how hard that, we could have a flamethrower. We could go out there with a flamethrower, and I can almost guarantee you we cannot start that woods on fire. You want to know why? Well, there's snow on the ground. Yeah, (laughs) today there's snow on the ground. But even in the summer, there's so much moisture in the area that we live Right, it's swampland. We live in we live in a very uh, clay rich, which help environment, which helps to hold that water. But the water, even in the summer, in, is in our swamps. Do you realize that we that there are places in the world? We were in California, where one spark can light thousands of acres on fire. We didn't understand that until our our kids were out there, and and then we saw these rolling tumbleweeds, and and we realized um, that. It's so hot and so dry that there is, it's almost, in, there's just no moisture anywhere. And you could shrivel up and uh, uh, waste away to nothing pretty quick. In this passage is, you know, there's a very, it's a very arid and dry area. And so there aren't always, uh, and, and weren't always these places where we could go and get a drink. There were these wells, you know, these deep holes they had dug to be able to get to water. Otherwise, there was just no, there was not water. It wasn't readily available. People carried it, uh, and they were just like, uh, like Dan Schumach, the, our hiker buddy, were controlled by the amount of water they could carry, right? They could make it so far. Dan, Dan is uh, just finished yesterday uh, his hike, uh, and he'll be headed back our way soon. Uh, but there was, there was a hike in California where he had to go 22 miles between water. 22 miles. And they hike uh, in California, they hike at night because it's so hot, they'll use up all their water. In fact, Dan went, there was this, he tells this great story about he went to go to, there was a hike on the hiking trail, there was this little spring and it said that he could get water there and, and there hadn't been able to get water anywhere. And he goes there and it's so dry it's just a mud hole. There is no water. And he laid down, and Dan's, and Dan's diabetic, he laid down and he thought, uh, I'm just going to put an a M&M on my tongue, and hopefully that will cause me enough moisture in my mouth to give me some, some water. And he passed out. But by the grace of God, he, he went to another hole that wasn't marked, and he found this little drip, and he, and he dug this little mud hole, he said, and he he was able to get water. He said it wasn't real pretty. <laughs> he carries this filter that he can actually suck water through and, and get the mud out uh, and drink it. He said it doesn't have to taste good as long as it doesn't kill me. 
but we don't think much about water in this area. Uh, but this passage uh, reminds us that, that water wasn't readily available. It wasn't easy to get. And, and I don't know if, if you've realized or not, but we're working our way to the cross. And so in this series uh, that started, uh, Brentley did two weeks, and we're going to work, work our way towards uh, to the Easter weekend, we're looking at moments in Jesus' life where he, had, he interacted with people. He connected with, with real humans doing real things. And so we recognize today that Jesus and his friends left They left, and they went through uh, Samaria. Now, that might not mean anything to us, but here's the reality. Most people, most Jews, would take the extra time, the extra length, the extra uh, miles of walking to walk around Samaria. They were not well-liked. They were not people uh, that they connected well with. We might, we might call them the dregs of society. And so for Jesus to be in Samaria uh, at the well at noon was a, a divine appointment with this woman. Understand that, that it was no coincidence that Jesus would have showed up there. Do you know why it's so odd that Jesus would be at the well at noon? Take a guess when most people got their water. In the morning, first thing in the morning. You know why this woman was at the well at noon? Yeah, nobody else was going to be there. She didn't want to deal with humans. She didn't want to be there. And she knew she had to get water, but, but dealing with other people was a challenge. And so she was, so she, of course, and we find out in that story, right? She had had five men, uh, some of them, <laughs> a lot of bad relationships obviously going on there. Um, and so she was trying to avoid all of that, avoid the people in Samaria. So, so she's, uh, she's a, Samaria, a Samaritan woman, and she's also uh, not top-notch in her group. And so Jesus meets her at the well. And what does he ask for? He asks for a drink. Well, he, didn't bring his, he didn't bring his cup. He didn't bring, he didn't bring his uh, water bottle with him. And he couldn't, the, this well was a deep well. So he didn't have the opportunity to just dip, his, dip something in or dip his hands in and get it. And so he asked this woman to draw water from this well for him that he might drink. And she immediately pushes back. Any sense why she pushed back? What's that? Diversion. Diversion. She pushed. So I want to. I want to ask you. Oops. Maybe I can get it to work. So what? What should we learn from the woman at the well? What is to be learned from this story? God meets us where we are. Okay. Anybody Samaritan? Anybody? No. Anybody a woman? We got half of that, right? About 50%. Right? What can we learn from this interaction with Jesus? Jesus and this woman. Right? There's only two people in this whole story. The first thing that we can learn is that we need to have rules within reason. 
I want, I want to share with you uh, this scripture. It says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman and how can you, how can you even ask me for a drink? Why? How would you ask me for a drink? Do you realize that this woman understood the rules? Right? She understood the rules of the culture that, that we don't talk. We don't talk to Jewish men. And as a Samaritan woman, I would have been less than and again less than. And there were rules, and we needed to follow the rules. And she says, you can't, you're not even supposed to ask me for a drink. Don't you understand? You don't associate with me. You don't associate with Samaritans, and you sure as heck don't associate with Samaritan women. There were rules of the day. What kind of rules of the day do we have now? What kind of rules are there in front of us? Yeah, that's right. Don't act up in church. Don't run in church. That's a rule, right? And some people, I think some people are like, oh, that's great. And some people are like, what is wrong with that pastor? He lets those kids run in church. You know why I let them run in church? You know why I encourage that? Because it reminds me of my own humanness. Right? It reminds me that there's a God of grace. And that there are a lot of rules that we tend to follow. But the reality is this. Is that we, we serve a God of grace who loves us so. And in some ways, we get so hung up on the rules that we have to do it this way. That it has to work out this way. That we, that we have to do A, B, and C. And if we're completely honest with ourselves, we quickly begin to realize that's what they did in the Old Testament. They tried to, to serve God by following all the rules. Guess what? They failed miserably. You want to know why? Because they can't follow the rules. How many Jewish rules were there? Anybody know that number? Somebody is a rule follower knows it. I guarantee it. 600, I think it's 13. I didn't look it up because I'm pretty sure. It's, I thought someone would know that for exactly. I think it's 613. You know how many rules? They used to create rules to protect themselves from the rules. And what happens when in our lives when we get so tangled up in the rules? What's that? Yeah, exactly. We lose sight of what's important. We lose, we lose sight of the real goal. The goal to serve God, to, to be in love with God himself. We, we, we think that if we can follow enough rules, if we can give enough money, if we can, if we can uh, do the 10% rule, if we can do all these things, that somehow we'll be okay when the reality is it's grace. Romans reminds us, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. This woman at the well, she was, she was hung up on the rules. You can't ask me for water. Because I'm not the right, I am not the right demographic for you to ask me water for water. Do you understand? I am, because he didn't carry his bucket in his back pocket, right? He wasn't carrying his bucket in his back pocket. You can't ask me for water. The rules say I can't do that. 
Here's the rules, don't cross the line. The problem is we serve a God of grace. And there are some, there are some gray stories in Scripture. And I don't claim to understand all of them or how they sort out. How does David eat the showbread and that's okay? How does Saul lose, lose uh, the kingdom because he offers something on the altar? My sense is there's a piece of the heart that's the problem in the, both of those situations, right? There's, there's a, their heart is where, where the issue is or the strength is. But the reality is this. There's a lot of gray in life. And sometimes we get so hung up on black and white. We get so hung up that we can't see around the corner. And, and here's what's worse. We're not able to give that to anyone else. We're not ever able to give grace to other people. We're not able to see through the eyes of Jesus. We recognize in this, this interaction that Jesus wasn't, he needed a drink of water, but that wasn't what he was after. He was, he was after to share the gospel, his life, and the, his love with this woman at the well. And I have to ask you, and I have to challenge you, as a congregation, and I challenge myself, do I sometimes let the rules get in the way of my relationship with God and my relationship with others? I don't have to condone actions to love people. I don't have to be okay with an orientation to love people. It's so cliche and so outdated and it's so 1980s. But what would Jesus do absolutely works, right? Someone ruined it. They sold a million zillion things. But the reality is this. If Jesus was standing in front of us today, how would he respond? How would he act? And we're looking at these stories uh, for, for this season working into Easter, and we ask the same question. How would Jesus act? Well, here's an example. He met this woman, and, and she would have been someone he wouldn't have hung out with right? Or someone we wouldn't want him to hang out with. And what does he do? He offers grace. And we can learn from that as we offer grace. The time continues to near. If you don't think this world is spiraling out of control, you either have your head buried in the sand or you're choosing to ignore. The harvest is plenty, the workers are few. We as a group, as a congregation, as a church in our community need to step up, to step out, to continue to share the gospel with those people we come in contact with. See, Jesus is the difference. And this picture, it's just a picture of a, a sermon title, but, I, but it fits so well. God sees us through the filter of Jesus, and we need to see other people and understand 
that other people are struggling. And we need to see them through the filter of Jesus. If they're a believer in Christ, that's what the filter will be. And we can share that with other people if we're willing. If we're willing to have reasonable uh, life with the rules. Within, within reason, right? Rules within reason. Second thing that we see in this passage is that life has its problems, right? The woman says, the woman says, sir, give me this water. <laughs> give me this water so I don't get thirsty again. I'm getting tired of coming here because every time I come, I have to be careful who I'm going to see. I have to be careful and watch that I don't connect with my ex's, ex's, ex's uh, sister-in-law, right? I have to, I, there's a chance I'm going to see people here. So if you could just give me this living water, uh, this, you know what she's asking for? She's way ahead of her time, right? She's asking for a faucet, right? If I, if I only had a faucet, I could get water and I wouldn't have to come to this well, Uh, this woman, it would have solved her problems, Ken. She said, that's all I need. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> I, I fixed a lot of people. Ken, yeah, if you need your... <laughs> Coming from life experience, Ken is a plumber. <laughs> and he says a faucet, if only Ken would have been there with Jesus. She doesn't know, right? But that's what she's asking for. She's, she's, she's very naive in, in what she's asking for, but she recognizes that going to the well is painful and it's, and it's hard on her life. And so what she's asking for is, boy, wouldn't it be great to not have to go here, to not have to deal with my problems, to not have to deal with what's going on in my life. It'd be one less thing I have to deal with. The reality is this. Every one of us, every one of us has problems. Scripture says man is but a few days and full of trouble. Some days I think it'd be really cool to sit in the sanctuary and just go row by row and share our struggle of the week. I think the reality is this. It would be a whole lot easier to come the next week recognizing that, man, there's some people with some big problems. And there are a lot of struggles in this world. And maybe mine aren't nearly as big a deal as I would like to believe. It's why small groups work. It's why Sunday school works. It's why accountability groups work. Because there's an opportunity to sit together and understand that there's a commonality in this world. There are problems, and there are trials, and there are struggles. Did this woman make some bad choices? Maybe, probably. I don't, we don't know her story. What we know is that she's in a pickle. That she needs to have water to survive, but she'd rather not be there. She's in her feelings. She's struggling to sort out life. And she says, you know, I'd rather, 
Why don't you give me the living water and I don't have to come back? She's struggling to, to see the forest through the trees. I won't ask you to really raise your hand, but I want you to think about it. Would you raise your hand if I said, are you struggling this morning to see the forest through the trees? And then I would ask the second question, does anybody having fun with that? Is anybody having, is enjoying that struggle? No. I can answer it for you. No. And I got to believe that it's exactly where God wants us to be. To understand that we can't do this on our own. Try as we may. <laughs> we can't. Those prayer requests this morning. Some deep and heavy stuff going on. There's deep and heavy things in our family. People who are not feeling well. Who, people who are not doing well. That's a small portion of, I know, of what I know is uh, a whole lot bigger. Got asked a really cool question this week. I appreciated this question. Question was of someone who was rather newer to the church, and they said, "You say come to the altar. Where's the altar? Right? We. When's the last time you guys saw anybody sacrifice uh, uh, any any lambs in the front of the sanctuary? Right? Great question. It's a great question, but and a genuine question. Where's the altar? Well, we don't have an altar per se." And the question was, is the whole front of the church the altar? Absolutely. Right? The, the whole concept of that idea is to, to take something, to take ourselves and offer ourselves at the altar. And every week, every week, I end the sermon in the same way. And I, I, I'd be willing to bet that some of you probably heard it long enough that you've given up and you, you just kind of shut down and like, all right, hurry up and pray. It's time to go to Sunday school. But I want you to hear this. So I didn't put it at the end. I'll put it in the middle today. That altar is for you to go in front of God and, and to, to lay your burdens at his feet. And here's the craziest part. I walk in this sanctuary every Sunday and I know your burdens. I might not know all of your burdens, but I can promise you this. No one that came into the sanctuary didn't have burdens. And yet rarely, rarely will someone be willing, gutsy enough, strong enough, vulnerable enough to come and lay them at God's feet. To come and pray. You don't have to pray with me. I, I don't, I'm okay if you don't want to pray with me. Just come pray. My sense is this as a pastor. There probably should be almost as many people up here praying to God at the end of a service as there are sitting in a pew. Now, I don't know how that works logistically. I know they'd be in the way of the praise team. We probably could handle that, right? Here's the reality. We all are struggling with some things. We're all working through this journey called life. We all need Jesus. 
And yet it's scary to let anyone in and to let anyone know. That's hard. Here's what Matthew says. Come to me all who are burdened, weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Did you see the word all? That includes every one of us. Come to me all you who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. If you're burdened and weary this morning, you can take that to God. He wants to know that. He wants to hear that. Our church wants to be able to pray for you. One of the things that we try to make sure we have plans for is when someone comes up, a deacon or a deaconess comes with them or will show up to help them, to encourage them, to pray with them. That's the plan. The plan is to, to help you come. We're not asking you to come to this church, walk in, deal with your stuff, and walk back out and not, not be a part of our faith community, our family. We're asking you to, to let us in to what's going on. It doesn't have to be the whole church. You don't have to come in front of the church and sit on a, on a microphone. That's not what I'm asking you to do. What I'm asking you to do is uh, to help lay those burdens at God's feet. Come all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And finally, salvation is for you. This woman, she understood religion. She understood this idea of religion. She also says, so she has this sense of like, I know who you are, Jesus. I know you're a prophet. I know you're this uh, guy who... Uh, who obviously knows more than a normal person would, you have never met me. And Jesus reminds her, the hour is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Who are the true worshipers? And what do they look like? What does a true worshiper look like? Do they, have to, do they have to have their arms up or their arms down? Do they have to sit in a pew? Do they have to stand? Do they have to, what, what does a true worshiper look like? And how do we know if we're a true worshiper? The first, the first and most important part is understanding who Jesus is. That Jesus came and lived the perfect life. He lived the life that none of us could live. He stood in our place. He lived perfection, died perfection, was raised again in perfection. And he asks us to come and to break our own hearts and let him in. If we ask Jesus into our hearts, into our lives, and allow him to work in our lives, we can know all about Jesus and not let him in. Just so you know. You, you, you can know who this Jesus guy is. You can know all the great stories of the Bible. You can uh, put all the perfect offering in the plate. You can do all the things of Jesus and not know Jesus. A true worshiper is one who follows Jesus 
who has asked him into their hearts, into their life, and allowed him to have control. John 15 talks about the vine and the branches. And Jesus uses a great, a great, a great grape illustration, right? For those um, in Jesus' time, they understood vineyards. Just so happens we live in a place where we understand vineyards. And he says, listen, if you're a part of the vine, you're going to bud. If you're a part of the vine, you're going to grow leaves. If you're a part of the vine, you will eventually have fruit. There will be fruit growing, right? Just like we watch, even right now, the grapes are preparing. Doesn't look like there's much going on, right? But the grapes are preparing for a harvest this fall. And they need this time just like they need the other months of the year. And, and the sap is starting to run. And it's running in the vines. And it's starting to fill up. And pretty soon there'll be buds. And there'll be growth. And things will start to move. It says in Scripture that if you're a part of the vine, if you're a part of Jesus, we're going to see some fruit. We're going to see some growth. We're going to see some movement. And, and, and here's where the hard part is. You've got to ask yourself. Is God working in my life? Is he moving in my life? Is he beginning to change me, even if it's in small, uh, little ways? And if I don't see anything different in my life from the moment I ask him into my heart, then maybe, maybe I didn't ask him. Maybe I didn't really give him control of my life. Maybe I need to sort that out. Because true worshipers are going to be followers of Jesus. There are going to be changes that begin to happen. And, and there's not this... For, for some people, it's a big change. And we're like, holy cow, this person was a murderer like Paul, right? This dude was bad news. Got blinded for three days and uh, turned his life around. But for some of us, it's just there are smaller changes. If you're a true worshiper of God, there will be changes in your life. There will be growth. There will be fruit. Things will be moving. Ask yourself the hard question. Am I a true worshiper of Jesus Christ? Am I following his teachings? Am I following him? Is he my leader? What does a true worshiper look like? Well, in Psalm uh, 51, the Psalm of David uh, some, some scriptures, uh, books might, Bibles might say uh, David and Bathsheba, or it's David talking about that sin. This is what he says, verse 16 and 17. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice. I, he's, what he's saying is, listen, I could have sacrificed all kinds of things. I could have I bought a whole flock of sheep and sacrificed every one of them. I could have... I could have given burnt offerings. I could have, there was all kinds of things I could have done according to the law. You didn't want them. Here's what he wanted. And here's what David came to understand. God, my sacrifice is a broken heart. A broken and contrite heart that you will not despise. That's what a true worshiper looks like. Someone's heart who has been, it's been broken from the sin 
in our lives and we understand that the sin we have committed needs fixing. The blood of Jesus over our sins. Then we go all the way, if we were to go all the way back to the, one of the first slides and then we would recognize that in God's eyes, after we make that commitment, that he sees us through the filter of Jesus. We no longer are our sinful selves in the eyes of God. Do we still sin? Yeah, I don't want to, but I still do. I'm trying not to, but I still do. People still make me mad at all these. Side note, I haven't thrown any celery yet, so we're good. The reality is, though, God sees us through the eyes and the filter of Jesus. And in that, he can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We may feel that we aren't able to be there or that we don't deserve that or that's not really what's going on. But through the filter of Jesus, God can see that that we're pointed in the right direction, that we're making adjustments, that we're moving uh, in, a, in a way that he would have us to move. And the coolest part is that each one of our journeys is different. It always looks different if I were to go down and we look at that journey and this journey and this journey, this journey and this journey. They would all look different. And yet, followers of Jesus are all pointed in the same direction. So let me ask you, do you want to be like the woman at the well. The woman at the well figured it out. She understood, or at least she got a sense that it was more than just uh, this religious idea. It was a relationship. Because if I didn't read the last couple verses of that passage, I would encourage you to go back and read uh, 25 and 26. Because this is what the woman at the well says. She says, I know that Messiah... I know that Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain it all to us. He's going to come. She knew that this this Savior was coming. She didn't know she was standing in front of him. But she understood that she was looking for him. And Jesus declared in verse 26, I, the one you're speaking to, I am he. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, thank you for for this woman at the well. It'd be so easy for us to pick on her and say, well, she obviously didn't understand relationships. She She didn't marry them all. A lot of brokenness. She's messed up. It's easy to say until we look at ourselves and we say, well, I have broken relationships. I have sinned. And I'm messed up. And like it or not, I'm in the same boat she is. A sinner saved by grace. Lord, this morning I pray for those who are struggling. Those who have had a rough week, 
those who have uh, health issues or have uh, family with health issues. Lord, I think of uh, those who are hurting today. Lord, each one of us have struggles on our hearts and our minds. And you give us an opportunity to bring them. Lord, may we bring them this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.